Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Psalms uh, 23 today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He has to take a seat. Now you can be seated for the next little bit. Uh, well, good morning, church. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, church. It's good to see your face. Last week, as you all know, I was out. I was in uh, quarantine for uh, COVID. Our whole family got smoked with COVID. We all came out of it uh, doing well. Uh, David, man, can we just give Pastor David seat a hand for leading the whole... Our whole worship team got smoked last week. David was here, and I think he said like 30 people total maybe across the two gatherings showed up. So about 10% of our church showed up. And uh, um, it was incredible, though. When I watched online, I'm going to tell you, I was sitting there with three kids and Paw Patrol in the background, and it was like good for my soul. So if you missed that gathering and you've not yet uh, checked it out on Facebook, shout out to Facebook folks that are watching too, um, I would encourage you to do so. Um, get some time, get alone, and, and watch that, ser- that, that service and just let your pastor just pastor you through uh, how to pray the Psalms. It was really really, really good. It was good for my soul. And so uh, I'm excited to be back. We're all healthy and well. Um, it looks like some of, some of our folks are coming back, which is great. So glad that hopefully you're healthy. Hey, if you need anything in this time, as in any time, but just to be clear, uh, if there's any wants, any, any needs that, that we need to be meeting as a church, uh, while COVID is kind of on the, on the uh, up and up and hitting our church body, do not hesitate to let your missional community leaders no, let your pastors know, let someone know, okay? Don't just be out there in isolation, not being served the way that you need uh, to be served. And so <clears throat> I don't want to overstate or overstep, but those of us that have been hit with COVID feel like we're bulletproof, and so we don't mind going and serving families that have COVID. We'll take food, we'll take meals, we'll clean up houses, amen? All right, here we go. So the, the church, let me just, I'm going to shoot you straight. I had a whole intro, uh, I nixed it, and I'm just going to say this. Uh, our church is ridden with anxiety right now. Uh, there's a real, I don't, I don't know if it's just a spirit of anxiety, the scriptures talk about that, I don't know if it's just emotional, psychological, or environmental, relational, there's all these different uh, reasons that can contribute to uh, being anxious, a lot of it has to do with coming out of, of two years, and, and what was once your normal no longer even exists in your rearview mirror, it's gone. And so we, we called it last winter, we put together a winter survival guide for our missional communities, and we said as leaders, and we said, man, they think this winter is hard, wait till next winter. Whenever their new normal still isn't normal, it's still different, and things are changing. And so in that, I have seen an incredible amount of uh, anxiety in our church. And so 
Uh, I'm not going to get in and give you all the definitions for anxiety, but I've definitely seen general, generalized anxiety, which is where you're just anxious and you're stressed out and you can't really pin why, but you kind of have increased heart rate, your mind's kind of scattered, you're just feeling anxious. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, yes? Uh, over the last two years, we've seen people in our church specifically that have developed social anxiety and even more specifically, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder in regards to large groups. We took a, a group of leaders to one of our friends' church, it's a very big church, and some of the leaders, that are significant leaders in our church, looked at the, the I mean, a room of hundreds of people and they're like, I don't even think I can go in. That could be social anxiety, it could be a little PTSD coming out from the last two years of being in isolation. We've seen uh, multiple panic attacks, and even myself. So on Christmas Eve, uh, we lost the parking lot over there. I didn't realize I was under uh, stress. Apparently I was. I-, I laughed about losing the parking lot. I was like, oh, that uh, figures. All right, great. We'll see how this goes when 350 people show up for Christmas Eve. The next day, retinal migraine. That's how I know that I'm uh, kind of hit my limit. I get hit with a retinal migraine. My fingertips go numb. My face goes numb. It feels like I'm stroking out. I get tunnel vision, and then I am knocked out, and I slept literally the whole day. It came to Christmas Eve, as I said in my last sermon, because I didn't, I didn't have anywhere else. I didn't know where else to go but to come and to hear the promises of God that Pastor David proclaimed that day. And so between my personal counseling sessions, through my counseling you, through my answering text messages and phone calls and emails, usually once a week, someone will reach out and ask for a counseling organization uh, because they're anxious or stressed or because their marriage needs help, right? This is anxiety is running rampant, specifically in our church. I can say that with a great deal of confidence. And so what I want to do for you today, if you're like me and you're struggling with this anxiety, if you're being honest with yourself and you're struggling with some anxiousness. I just want to give you Psalm 23. Uh, We've sung about it a couple of times now. Joey uh, walked us through it. I want to give you Psalm 23. And so Psalm 23 does not, to be clear, does not mention anxiety at all. So if you're kind of looking for that word in there, it's not going to pop out at you. Rather, Psalm 23 gives us clues, gives us a, um, a hopeful expectation as to how we can kind of enter out or sorry, exit out of the valley whenever we are sitting in the valley, or as I call it, the dark night of the soul. When we're setting in that dark, lonely, isolating place, Psalm 23 gives us some hope. It gives us a doorway by which we can walk out of the valley. And so as I'm preaching to you today, church, I'm just coming as a practitioner today, okay? Uh, I didn't read a bunch of commentaries. I didn't read the ESV study Bible this week. I didn't read any of the content that people sent me. Multiple people in the church sent me stuff on Psalm 23. I usually read that. This week, I didn't do it. I'm just coming as a practice. I've spent some time in the valley, okay? I'm well acquainted with Psalm 23 in the valley. I know Psalm 23. In the last year, I have literally probably read Psalm 23 400 times. Without, I mean, it's only six verses, but I would just lay in my bed at night and read Psalm 23 for hours sometimes until I fall asleep or until the promises once again ring true to me. I'll just read it over and over and over. So I'm not coming as some scholar, some big theologian, and I'm just your pastor and a practitioner today, all right? Let me pray for us, um, and then I'm going to give you a big idea, and I'll give you three points we're going to hit. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, your word today. It is good. It is right. As we pray this morning, Lord, as we've been just trying to get to your feet, God, may the, the imagery and the beauty of Psalm 23 manifest itself as reality for us today. 
Uh, may we feel the blades of grass that you call us to lay down on. God, may we actually hear the streams of water as living water flows through us through the power of your spirit. God, may we actually, may, may we actually be surprised when we catch a glimpse of the rod and staff as we sit together today. May it just be so vibrant and so blinding to us that a shadow of death isn't even a reality because the sun is in the room. So God, we pray and we ask, Lord, you quiet our souls, quiet our spirits, God. Release, relieve us from anxieties, from anxiousness, from feeling like the world is too cumbersome to endure, feeling the weight, the heaviness of expectations, unvoiced expectations, other people projecting their failed expectations onto us. God, I just pray that you set us free today. Begin to set us free, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said. All right, so big idea for you is this. The, there's only one shepherd that you should follow. Kind of bottom shelf for you, but easy to remember. If you're a note taker, if you're online, I would encourage you to write that down, type that out. There's only one shepherd that you should follow. You can put in parentheses there. There's only one shepherd you should listen to. I could have put that as a big idea as well. The way by which we're going to walk through Psalm 23 is going to be pretty simple. I'm going to give you three simple questions, three questions you keep in your back pocket anytime you go to read God's word, and it will lead you uh, to the Father, it leads you to Jesus. One is who wrote it? Who wrote the text? First point. Second point, who, what does it say? Literally, just what does the text say? Sometimes I'll write it out in my own words just to kind of further wrap my mind around what's happening. And then the third one is so what? So what? So what does this mean for me? That's the kind of the meditation piece. That's the silence and solitude piece. That's the applying the gospel to your heart reality. This is what makes the word become flesh uh, inside of us. When we say so what? So what does this mean uh, for us, these are also three questions you can find in your missional community write-ups that your missional community leaders should have and should have given to you. As Pastor David said, if you've not yet stepped into an MC, hey, look up here, now's, now's the time. It is time to step in and, and just sit in, this, in these psalms and in this psalm uh, with us as a church family. So let's start with this. Um, if you just read Psalm 23, okay, if you just read it on the surface, uh, you can glean some incredible insight from it. You can find some comfort from it. You can, you can set in. Holy Spirit can move and can work in you, most certainly. But if you take just a little bit of time to reflect on who wrote Psalm 23, man, what happens is it, it really begins to open you up. Just thinking about who's this King David, it'll actually open you up to what Psalm 23 has to say for you, right? It gives you some beautiful imagery when you just sit and think about this King David. So who wrote this Psalm? First point, who wrote it? Spoiler, King David. It's literally called the Psalm of David, if you look at the heading in your Bible, okay? So cat's out the bag, King David wrote it. I want you to think for a moment, okay, about the last year, a sermon series that we went through was called Lest We Turn. So if you are new today, today you're a guest or whatever, you didn't walk through that series with us, uh, let me refresh everybody's memory. Whenever we walked through the series Lest We Turn, we took the last half of the year, last year, last six months of last year, and we looked at a book called First Samuel. We spent about six months, almost six months, kind of figuring out who is King David. And so we learned all about King David. Not everything about King David, but we sat in it for all of fall and all the winter. There's two things we learned for sure about King David. The first was this. King David was a king, obviously, King David, that became a shepherd. So King David was a king, 
But first he was a shepherd. Somebody say shepherd, so I know you're with me. Okay, you're tracking. King David was a shepherd before he was a king. So all of the imagery of Psalm 23 that you hear comes from a shepherd's eye view, right? It's from his advantage point, his vantage point. Everything that's in there, everything that's listed about Psalm 23 is because King David was a shepherd. What's beautiful about Psalm 23 is this. The shepherd, King David, is looking at his shepherd, like the the good shepherd, and he's saying, in this relationship right here, I'm not the shepherd. In fact, I am the sheep. And so he's calling out to the shepherd as a shepherd, right? Kind of give me little S, shepherd, capital S, shepherd, you still tracking? And he's saying, in this scenario, I ain't the shepherd. Yeah, you are. And I am the sheep. And he's laying out for us this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. King David knows something about sheep. First off, he knows sheep are dumb. Isn't it ironic that the Bible calls us sheep, huh? Well, that hurts this early in the morning, pastor. Sheep are dumb, though, isn't it? It's interesting. Look, if a shepherd, he knows if a shepherd doesn't keep the sheep on the move, the sheep will eat through the grass all the way into the dirt. They will literally eat themselves to death. If the shepherd does not herd the flock, the sheep will follow other sheep off of a cliff. They'll just walk one by one right off of that cliff. They know that they don't always do what is right. He knows that the sheep need rest. He knows that the sheep need to lie down. Shepherds would have sheep lie down for three to four hours a day by still water, just allowing them time to rest. King David knows that the rod and the staff are important, important tools for the shepherd to correct and to corral The sheep, we'll get to that in a little bit. David also then remembers his calling from shepherd to king. So think about it. First, he's a shepherd. Second, he's a king. Somebody else say king. King David, this little shepherd boy that we read about in 1 Samuel, was anointed, right? The priest comes, Samuel comes, and anoints him. He literally drops oil over him or sanctifies him or sets him apart um, as king. He kind of, even King Saul and, and God himself calls King David a prince. He moved him from the pasture to being a prince, it said in 1 Samuel, if you remember. So think about the imagery now, just as King David as a man. Just think about his life, his Biography. We're not going to get into all of it, but think about some of this in light of Psalm 23. King David is a king. You think there's maybe some stress and anxiety that comes with that for a highly dysfunctional people group that he had to lead? Second king, right? So he didn't even have a good predecessor. (laughs) King Saul was a terrible man. Think about this. He had to leave his family for the work. He literally had to leave the pastorate, leave his brothers, leave his dad to go do this work. King David commits adultery, right? Causes another woman to cheat on her husband, and then what does he do? Kills that husband. You don't think maybe that sticks with you just a little bit? King David has a son that dies because of King David's disobedience in that. His son is born, and then his son dies. Think about the loss, the sadness, the grief that would come with that sort of loss. King David has a son then later, thank the Lord, praise the God, praise God, hallelujah, who tries to overthrow his kingship. So he gets a son, and then the son tries to remove him from the throne. You think there's a little bit of family drama that exists in there? Then he does, as he is king, he does have King Saul, who he looked to as a father that tried to kill him, if you remember, in 1 Samuel. He tried to pin him against the wall. How many times did it say that? King Saul tried to pin him against the wall with a spear and pin him against the wall with the spear. And so before you get into the Psalms in general, and specifically Psalm 23, it's important that you take a minute to think about who this King David is. Because when you just set it, you don't have to know everything about him, but when you just set in it, with some of that stuff in mind that we just addressed, now you can ask, second point, well, what does the text say? What does it say? 
First, King David wrote it. Secondly, what does the text say? This, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Think about this for a second. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just stop right here for just a minute and think about this in light of what was just said of King David. When my son dies, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I'm hiding out in shame, anxiety, and fear, when I've just committed adultery, how to let a woman to betray another man, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I'm out on the battlefield, killing and murdering for my nation, war-hardened King David says, the Lord is my shepherd, church. Does that not make it feel just a little bit more weighty for us when you think about it in light of that? When the world is coming down on me as I've been invited to be a king, when people betray me, when I feel overwhelmed, when I look out and I think that there's an easier way, whenever I want to give up, give up on this relationship, give up on this kingship, when I think that there might be something more easy, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, King David says. What's beautiful about Psalm 23 is that what's true for King David is most certainly true for you. And it's true for me, right? The Lord is my shepherd. We shall not want. Everything that you want and everything that you need is found in the good shepherd. This is what he's saying right here in the beginning. He's saying you shall not want. Well, what does the good shepherd offer, pastor? What does he offer? He offers rest. Like rest. Tell me in your bones you don't want some rest right now. Right? Well, how does he do that? Verse 2, 3, 4, right here. Verse 2 and 3. He makes He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He leads. He leads me by beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake, church. Look at that, dude. Look at that. For his name's sake. Why would he do this? Why would he lead me to lie down? Why would he lead me to be beside still waters? Why would he restore our soul? Why would he lead us in paths of righteousness that is away from sin? Why would he do that? For his name's sake. Because he's good. That's why he does it. Because he's incredible. He does it for his name's sake. He does it because he is first and foremost about himself. He's first and foremost about his glory, not our glory. First and foremost about how he views himself, not how we view him. It's incredible. Look, God is not, spoiler, God is not first and foremost about us. He's first and foremost about his namesake. He's about himself, his glory, his power, his authority, his way, period. And then we reap the benefits of him being about himself. You can say, well, pastor, that sounds selfish. He's about himself. That sounds prideful and arrogant. You're telling me I'm prideful and arrogant when I act like you are. So am I, right? It's only prideful and arrogant whenever we're about ourselves because whenever we're about ourselves, no one else benefits, dude. Whenever I'm about my time and my money and my responsibility and my tasks that I need to get done because I got an ever long, ever increasing to-do list that promises me comfort if I finish it, I'm about myself in that moment, right? That's all about me. That's all about you, right? Why does the house have to be perfect? Because the way people view the house reflects the way they view you, right? Who's that about? Your namesake, my namesake. Why do we buy gifts for people during the holidays we don't care that much about and spend too much money on them? 
Because when they open up that gift, they get a picture of the gift or a picture of us. Picture of me. They begin to judge me based off the, di- the gift. Why do I spend more money than I need to? My namesake. Anybody else? Right? You spend all this money on people that don't actually care about you and you don't actually care about why. For your namesake. That's why we do it. It's exactly why we do it. At the end of the day, that's all about us, me, my namesake, you, your namesake. All this pressure to look, to perform, to appear, to appeal to someone that at the end of the day, they don't even actually care that much about us. Why? Because they care about their namesake. They just want a good gift. Why? For themselves. But they're, they're going to judge you if you get the wrong thing, aren't they? All that does, all that pressure we put upon ourselves just leaves us ridden with what? With anxiety. Leaves us full of stress. Feeling inadequate. It's a vicious, it's a vicious cycle. Oh, I, I hope I can make this make sense. If this don't make sense, it's okay. There's always next week, and Pastor David's going to preach. So... <laughs> It'll be fine. I was talking with Erin Cranston this week. Erin Cranston's one of our, our nah, she's our pastoral assistant. And then Erin and Gabe, uh, some of our newest missional community leaders. Come on now, somebody. Give them a shout. Let's go. Some of our newest MC leaders. They haven't been, even been able really to meet because of COVID, but it's out there. They exist. Um, what are we doing? Oh, yeah. So we're talking. Uh, we're talking on the phone, talking about anxiety. And she said something that just kind of hit it on the nose, and then I just kind of expounded upon it. So if it doesn't make sense, it's almost the point, is that it should almost not make Sense to you, but she said this specifically. She said, Aaron said, so if you get mad, Aaron said, women, it's about women, okay? Aaron said it. Women, <laughs> women specifically will put all these expectations on themselves that no one ever actually cares about. And then they'll feel let down and inadequate because they didn't meet their own expectation, even though no one actually cares. Does that make sense? For you ladies, you're like, yeah, but us dudes, we do it too as well, don't we, men? And so I was thinking about how stupid that is. It's totally stupid. Think about how chaotic that is. My wife told me I should draw this out for you. I love to use a whiteboard. I don't really get to in here because our space is a little too small, but she said you should have just drew out the chaos of it because think about it like this. We will look at, I'm like, yeah, we will look at what someone else has, desire that thing for ourselves, feel as if we're being judged because we don't have that thing that someone else has, try to aspire to have the thing that someone else has. When we don't meet our own expectations in that moment, we will feel inadequate and let down, stressed, anxious, and angry because we don't have what that person over there has. And we're worried the whole time that that person over there is looking at me, comparing them to me. You still tracking with me? All the time, this person over here, let's say it's Joey, this person over here, Joey, ain't even looking at me. He's looking at Dawn. And so I'm looking at Joey thinking, I want what you got. And I feel bad and let down because I didn't meet the expectation. Joey isn't even looking back at me, paying attention to me. He's looking at Don thinking, I want what Don has. And so then he's feeling let down because he can't meet his own expectations, not paying any attention to me, only paying attention to Don. And Don's over here looking at Gabe, not paying any attention to Joey, who's paying attention to me, who I'm not paying attention to. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so ludicrous. It's like this vicious, insane cycle of perpetual unmet expectations that at the end of the day, no one even cares about. Does that make any sense? That's literally what happens, isn't it? Right? Thank you. Yes, this is exactly what happens. So everyone has given themselves expectations that look like someone else who don't even care about what they're doing because no one's looking. Why? Because everybody's just worried about their own namesake. They ain't looking at anybody else, right? Just worried about themselves, everyone else looking out for their own namesake. What are we saying? We're saying, look at me, respond to me, see me, see what I've done, try to be like me, follow me. Here it is. Let me shepherd you. Let me shepherd you. 
I will shepherd you. I will give you peace. I will give you comfort. I will help you lie down while I'm ridden with anxiety and stress because I can't even meet my own expectations that no one cares about. (laughs) God says, no, 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 no. Look at me. Look at me. Look at the good shepherd. I will make you lie down. I will lead you by still waters. I will restore your soul. I will bring you rest. The Hebrew word there for rest, for restoring of soul is actually to reanimate. He's saying, I'll give you life. I'll give you rest. Come to me. One of the biggest differences between you and God is this. God does not care what we think about him. He doesn't care. He's not looking at everyone else wondering whether or not they're looking at him. Why? Because he's about his own namesake. He's about his own glory, his own power, his own authority. He is about himself. And because he is about himself, then everyone else benefits. He's the only one that can do that. His namesake, his ways lead to rest. Do you want rest for your soul? Then you look to him and his namesake. Man, now, when we get that, when we wrap our minds around that, now we can enter into verse 4. Verse 4 says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, it's all present tense now. Everything that King David is saying, he's saying in present tense. When I'm in the valley, you bring me comfort. Your rod, your staff, they bring me comfort. That's how I know you're with me. It's your rod and your staff. I'm looking to the rod. I'm looking for the staff. Whenever I see those things, then I know that you're with me. Now think about this. How true is this? This is so true. I love the Bible because it's true and so simplistic at times. Not simple, simplistic at times. Think about this. You can know nothing about a shepherd, right? Like in this room, we're not an agrarian culture. We know little to nothing about shepherds. But whenever you look at a picture, right, you know a shepherd whenever you see a shepherd, don't you? How do you know a shepherd when you see a shepherd, church? The staff, man. What does it look like at top, up at the top? There it is. It's a hook. Everybody knows, right? We can spend all of our time on our phones. Yeah, look at a picture. Know a dog on shepherd when we see a shepherd. King David is saying like that, like that staff, that hooked staff. He mentions the rod, which we'll get into, but he says that staff, that's how I know that you're with me. What was the staff used for? The staff was used to snatch up the sheep. They'd use that hook, wrap it around the sheep's neck, and he would snatch it over to him whenever the sheep was out wandering or chasing after other sheep or being led into danger. The shepherd would snatch that sheep up and keep him close. Right? He's talking about proximity. He's a relational closeness there is what he's getting to in the song. Now, the rod. We don't talk much about the rod. The rod was used for defense. The rod was used to war off if there was a wolf maybe that was coming into the presence of the sheep. The rod was also used for counting. They would use this rod and kind of count the the sheep just like we would point at something and count them. And what is he saying? He's saying, you are my protection. There's a closeness with the staff, but with the rod, there's this protection and you know me. Like I'm, I'm not just in your presence, but I'm known in your presence and I'm protected by you. So King David is saying, you got to keep your eyes on the rod and the staff because that's where there's comfort and that's where there's safety and that's where there's going to be protection and that's where you're near the good shepherd. But whenever you're not close to the shepherd, when you can't see the rod and staff anymore, how do you feel? You feel abandoned. You feel lost. You feel alone. You feel disconnected. You feel the relational distance there. You don't feel protected. My, what do we feel? We feel anxious. Now all of a sudden, I don't know what's I don't know what to make of anything anymore. I don't feel what I once felt. Tell me that that's not, I mean, tell me that's not true. 
It's 100% true. Instead of being near the shepherd, what do we do? Well, we follow, instead of being near the good shepherd, I should say, we just follow other shepherds. Sometimes that shepherd is myself. Sometimes that shepherd is you. Sometimes that shepherd is culture. More often than not, that shepherd is a to-do list. I'm just too busy to read the Bible today. Got too many things on the calendar, a slave to that shepherd of a calendar. Our schedule is just too, it's just too crazy. You don't understand. You're a pastor. You don't understand. We're too busy to pray. We don't get to be all holy and sit at Starbucks like you do, okay? Too busy to pray. I'll pray in my car on the way to work. Um, it, it's too uncomfortable to be in a community. Our own comfort can be a terrible shepherd sometimes, can't it? It's too uncomfortable to sit in missional community for 15 minutes and silence and solitude at the beginning of our time together. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to ask yourself, like, how many more excuses can you come up with to not spend time with the shepherd? How many more excuses can you come up with to not spend time with your missional community? Like, think about this. Uh, Kelly, our kids director, said this one time. She said, of all the things you think you need to cancel from your life, of everything that you have going on in the calendar, you think the one thing that's going to bring you rest is less time with God and less time with God's people. Less time in his word and less time in prayer. Right? For those that are always making excuses about how they can't get plugged in into a missional community throughout the week, she, she looked at me one day and she said, do you, do, you, do you not think that that's ridiculous? That of everything that's on my list, out of gymnastics, out of soccer, out of going to the grocery store, out of all these things on the to-do list that I got to do, that the one thing that will bring me rest will be the absence of God. Yeah, that makes sense. How's that going for you? Right? Of all the things in your life you believe canceling that out is going to be the thing that brings you comfort, that actually brings you rest, right? Let me ask you, if you're one of those that regularly make excuses to not be in the Word, not be in prayer, not be in community, not be a church, not be whatever, not even viewing online, it's impossible to miss a gathering now, right? You can literally watch it anytime you want. For all those that are making these excuses, can you confidently look at me in the eye and say you feel relationally close to Jesus? Do you feel like he's a good shepherd who knows you? Can you, feel, do you, can you confidently look and just say, I just feel so known today. Spent so little time in God's word, just feel so known by him. Great experience with him. More so in light of COVID, not spending time with the shepherd, can you say you feel protected? It's no wonder that we feel anxious, right? What's sad about that and I'm going to try to hit this just a little bit. Let me just dig in a little bit more here. Is that most of us in the room have families. Right? And so in choosing to be the good shepherd instead of leading our families to be the good shepherd, we're not just leading our own lives further away from the presence of God, but in our excuses, you're actually leading your family away from the presence of God. Leading your kids to feel without protection. Leading your kids to feel as if they're not known, leading your kids, your wives, your husbands, your other family, whoever it may be, your friends, best friends, if you're not married, to feel relationally distant from God, leading them to feel orphaned, abandoned. As I hope you see that, right, in the, in the excuses, you're not just shepherding your own heart away from the Lord. It has a ripple effect on everyone around you. And so you're maybe a sheep dressed in shepherd's clothing, and in that, you need to come to the psalm in the same way that David has come to the psalm and say, hey, in this scenario right here, I'm not the shepherd. I'm the sheep. I need the good shepherd. I need the good shepherd. I don't need to be a shepherd right now. I don't need to be a shepherd. I don't need to be in control. I don't need to have authority over anything. All I need to do is come into the presence and just be a sheep. And here's the crazy, challenging 
sad, dangerous thing about this is that we're either going to come to the shepherd as a sheep in this moment saying, hey, I'm in desperate need of you, or we're not going to change from this point forward, and we're going to have to come to the shepherd and say, I'm actually a wolf. I am intentionally leading myself further away from you. I am intentionally leading my family further from you. That is not a dumb sheep anymore. When it's intentional at this, because after this point of conviction forward, from this moment in the sermon forward, right, the way you respond, you're either going to respond as a sheep or you're going to respond as a wolf. You're going to say, hey, I ain't got it all together and I need a little bit of help over here. I do need this good shepherd. Or you're going to say, matter of fact, pastor, I'm not going to change who I am. And I am, in fact, in that moment, identifying as a wolf. I'm going to continue leading myself away. I'm going to continue leading my family away because it's the deal. You're either going to be in the presence of God forever or you're going to be absent from his presence forever. Those are the two options. And so you're going to shepherd as best you can the dumb sheep that we are and lead our families into the presence of God or dumb sheep that we are are going to actually realize I'm actually not a sheep. I'm destroying everything around me. I'm eating everything around me. I'm devouring everything around me. Well, here's a taste of the absence of God's presence right now. No need to wait for hell. We can feel it right now. Come be a part of my family. See what I can lead you into. That's the scary thing about it, isn't it? And it gets even worse. There's so many shepherds fighting for you to follow them. There's so many. Think about everything that you put in your minds throughout the week. We're inundated with information from just social media alone, and then all the email blasts that we get and all the ads that we get. We have all these shepherds coming to us. Think about when you're binging YouTube, right? And you get this little ad that pops up. What does the guy say? He says, hey, before you hit the skip button, what is he saying? I found the next new, I got the new diet, I got the new plan, I got the new way for you to make money, I got the next big thing for you. What is he saying? Hey, let me shepherd you. Just let me shepherd you for a second. Come with me, follow me. Leading us further away from the presence of God. Man, that's a a wolf, when they lead you further from the presence of God. The rod and staff that King David mentioned there, that was all for free. The rod and staff that King David mentions there were given to comfort and to corral. The, the staff is given there to, to corral the sheep. The rod given for comfort is kind of the imagery that he's laying because that rod is for the defense. Let me hit you with this last thing and then give you an illustration. Do you know what the shepherd would do with the rod to the sheep that kept walking away from him? He'd break their legs. The good shepherd would break the sheep's legs. You ever see that imagery of the shepherd walking with the sheep over his shoulders? That actually comes from this agrarian culture, and the imagery there is if you continue to move away from the good shepherd, he will do everything in his power to bring you back. Yes and amen. Up to and including breaking your own legs. And then he puts the shepherd or puts the sheep over his shoulders, and he would nurse that sheep. He would literally keep the sheep with him. He would hand feed that sheep, literally sleep next to that sheep. He would spend all this time with the sheep to build the relational connection with the sheep. That's some intense measures to take, isn't it? But the good shepherd cares about his sheep. Here's the, the one-liner for you. You're either going to lay down, listen, or you're going to lay down. <laughs> one way or another, he's going to get you to lay down. You tracking with me? The good shepherd. Why? Because he cares. Dude, my laying down comes. I got to watch how I word some of this because it can be misperceived. My laying down comes about every three months. Uh, about every three months, I've mentioned before, I kind of hit what we call, what I call the dark night of the soul. And I feel like everything in my life is falling apart. I feel super anxious. I, I don't usually get retinal migraine. It doesn't go that bad, but I just feel a little out of sorts about every cycle. I don't want to downplay that. My wife calls it my menstrual cycle. And she's just like, you'll be all right. Give it four days. 
we all been there, you know? And so, boom. And so we bump on. I'm actually uh, in counseling right now, this incredible counselor that I love. I've known for years, and I go see him every couple years just to kind of make sure everything's going all right upstairs. Uh, word of advice, word of wisdom for you. Don't think counseling should come after all hell is broken loose in your life. Okay, you can go to counseling before it gets bad. You can go to counseling to kind of maintain the good. Think about it like an oil change, unless you're bad at maintaining your car. You don't wait for the light to go off on the dash. When the light goes off, you should go, uh-oh, <laughs> I got to get in there. I got to get in there and get it fixed. You should watch the mileage, though, right? Kind of watch the mileage roll, and then you take it in to get that oil change. So it is with our minds. We shouldn't wait until something pops off and go, uh-oh, but rather should go, hey, man, I'm seeing some indication here that Maybe we should go get plugged in. Maybe we should go have somebody smarter than us ask us some questions. So I started back to counseling um, to make sure I wasn't kind of overlooking anything over the last two years, especially as we're entering into a, a series on silence and solitude. I felt it wise to get my own mind checked out. Um, my counselor said something to me that I think was, was fitting, was good. Uh, he said this. If you could put this up uh, for me, Ms. Kelly. He said, exertion without rest leads to injury. But rest without exertion leads to apathy. All right, pin that for a second. King David, leave that up for me, Miss Kelly. Uh, King David has said that your rod and your staff comfort me. So far, everything he's saying is that you need to find rest. You need rest. You need to find the peace, the stillness of the water. You need to lie down. He's just inviting us into presence. What my counselor is getting to and what I'm going to lead you to see here in a moment, for me specifically as a man, is that I run so hard and so fast mentally that even though I take a Sabbath every week, even though I normally take the month of June off, like that's a long time off on my Sabbath. I don't answer my phone. I don't answer texts. I don't do anything on my Sabbath that is related to you, related to Heights community. I tell David, dude, everything can burn to the ground on a Friday. It doesn't matter. We'll deal with it on Saturday, okay? We need time with the Lord. And so even though I have great rhythms of rest, I love Sabbath, even though I have great rhythms of rest, he said, your mind is just never off. Your mind is always thinking about heights. It's thinking about raising $600,000. It's thinking about spending $1.5 million on a new building. Praise the Lord. It's thinking about new leaders and new MCs and who can host those MCs and what sort of leadership development track. It's just, it's always going. And he said, so then you, literally, the Lord makes you lay down about every three months. And I'm like, how's that possible? He's like, that's just the way that it works. So if you think about it like working out, if all you do is work out, exertion, and you never rest, you're going to get what? You're going to get hurt, right? But if all you do is rest without any exertion, you don't ever work out, well, that's going to lead to apathy. I put indifference up there because apathy is a word we don't use very often, right? Does that make sense? So if all you're doing is go, 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 you're eventually going to get injured. He's either going to make you lay down or you're going to lay down. And if all you do is lay down, you're like, I got the laying down, down, doc. I, got, I can lay down. That's easy. It, but if all you do is lay down, what happens is you become indifferent. Now, in light of the sermon, to kind of reel all this in for you, here's what happens. In our culture, primarily, we go, 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 go. Now, what happens is because we don't rest, I should draw this out too, we go, 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 and because we don't rest, we're all exertion with no rest, what happens is that we become apathetic in our spiritual disciplines. We don't know how to go, 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 go with spiritual disciplines anymore, and so we become indifferent, not just in spiritual disciplines, but we become indifferent to the Lord. And then what happens is when you spend so little time at the feet of Jesus, you actually begin to believe, I don't need the feet of Jesus. That's apathy, right? That is burning out. 
You're literally burning out. And so if you think, I'm gonna deal with anxiety, let me ask you, do you actually feel a draw to be at the feet of Jesus? If the answer is yes, praise the Lord. If the answer is no, it's because you're in the midst of burnout. You're burning out. That's what's happening. You are becoming apathetic and indifferent to the good shepherd. King David is saying, you gotta take your eyes off of the ground. Stop looking at the dirt. Stop looking at the back of sheep's butts. Put your head up in the air. Like kind of get out of the herd, so to speak. Set your eyes on the horizon and find the dog on staff and rod. It's the only way it's going to bring any comfort. And that comfort will come in the form of, listen, rest. This relational closeness, this protection that's going to come from the rod and staff. So what? So what does that have to do with, with anything? Last thing, so what? And then we'll give you the gospel and we'll take communion. King David finishes the psalm with two final points. And he says this. He says, you restore my identity forever. That's what he says. You restore my identity. You give me your presence forever. Verse 5 says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is the first thing that he's saying. He's recalling Samuel anointing him with oil and calling him to be king. And then giving him, God giving him the victory in that. He's saying, this is wartime language. The table that is mentioned here is a celebration that would come after the spoil has been collected from the war. After you've already had victory, then you go have a feast at the expense of your enemy. You guys tracking with that? But what he's saying here is, no, 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 no. Right smack dab in the middle of the valley. Like in the middle of the valley, you prepare the table. Like in the midst of the battle, you're looking at me and you're saying, I know you, I've anointed you, I've set you apart. There is victory for you. Let me tell you what, when I'm laying there at night, ridden with anxiety and anxious thoughts, this is what I cling to. You've promised victory. You've promised it. And listen, it might not happen here, as Pastor David said next week. It might only be in eternity. There's some illnesses that come that you can't escape from this lifetime, okay? And shoot you straight. But there is a promise here that is sufficient to sustain us right now that he has anointed us. He has set us apart. He has promised victory. Second thing that King David says is this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 6. Now, whenever King David pins this, I'm, I believe he's feeling assured. He's saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Look at all the truths that I just wrote down. Surely this is going to follow me. But as I was talking about this week with the staff, whenever I read this, when I'm in the dark night of the soul, it does not read, surely the Lord is going to give me. It reads like this, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me. Surely it's got to get better than this, Lord. Surely goodness and mercy. Surely you have to give me something more than what I'm sitting in right now. And so as I'm laying there reading this, I will literally, church, I will literally read, surely, dot, 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 goodness and mercy will follow. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow. Surely. I will read and reread this line until the dot, dot, dot goes away and I can once again feel the comfort of the staff and the rod. Any minutes, that doesn't happen in minutes. God's not calling you to minutes with him. For some of you, he's calling you to hours lying in the pasture, feeling the stillness of the water, allowing him to remind you of who he is. The goal, according to Psalm 23, is not to get rid of anxiety or anything else. The goal, according to Psalm 23, is to get into the presence of the good shepherd. The book of John tells us that the good shepherd is, in fact, Jesus. He's the only shepherd that is worth following. So let me give you the 
read to you John and land it with the gospel for you. John chapter 10 says this. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's the way by which they get in the pasture is what that means. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. and He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Come on. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Amen. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And in that church, we have the gospel. If you, go to any, if you go to God to get anything other than God, you get nothing. You get more anxiety, more stress, more pressure. But if you go to God to get the good shepherd, man, just to get Jesus, to get protection, to get relational closeness, to be next to him, man, you get everything. And it finds itself in rest. Jesus says, all these other shepherds that you want to follow, all the other shepherds, they're just thieves, Right? Netflix wants to steal you away. YouTube wants to steal you away. All that stuff wants to steal you away. There's only one who actually sticks around whenever the trouble comes, whenever the dark night of the soul comes, whenever anxiety comes. There's only one who actually sticks around, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the only one that says, come to me and find rest. Come to me, and I will first give you identity. I will first restore your soul. I will first bring you into relationship, and then you get to respond. But think about every other shepherd that leads you to an excuse to not be with God. It says, sacrifice for me, give to me, pay me, um, subscribe to me, do something for me, and once you do something for me, then I'll bring you rest. Ted Lasso ain't going to bring you rest. Yellowstone's not going to bring you rest. It's going to cost you $5 a month. And then you're going to feel exhausted because you went to bed at 1 and had to wake up at 6.30 in the morning. Come on, tell me I ain't preaching to somebody. I know, I've been there. But Jesus is the only one that says, no, 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 you come to me. And, listen, and, and then I give you rest. I just, just come to me. You don't have to do anything else. And what's crazy about that is like this reference of the hired hand. I love it. It's so perfect in light of the gospel because he's not a hired hand. You don't pay Jesus. Jesus pays our penalty, Right? Jesus goes to the cross. What happened? He understands anxiety. He fully gets anxiety as a hired, as a, the non-hired hand, as the perfect savior, as the good shepherd. On his way to the cross, he's sweating drops of blood out of his face, church. That's how stressed out he is because of what's about to happen. And then he goes to the father looking for the rod and staff to try to get comfort. And what does he get? He gets the cross. He doesn't get comfort at all. Get, good shepherd, father, is there another way? And the father says, no, there's no other way. He goes, Okay. The only way the sheep are going to walk through the door to a restful, good pasture is through the cross. And so the good shepherd surrenders everything that could be restful for him, goes to the cross to ultimately bring us comfort. And then he says this, I've paid your price. He becomes the hired hand in that regard. I paid your price. Now simply respond. I'll give you new identity. I'll give you new purpose. I'll bring you rest. And now just go be, 
Now go be faithful and obedient. That make sense? All right, stand with me as we enter the communion offering. We're running a little late. Sorry, team. Every week we read out of 1 Corinthians 11 of the Apostle Paul. And so if you're able to grab a communion cup on your way in, um, that's great. You can use those. If you were not able to grab a communion cup up here in the baskets, uh, we have some. Feel free to make your way forward. That's not a distraction. That's totally normal. People do that every week, all week. And so no big deal. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11. It said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given things, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for those of you that are in Christ, this is a meal uh, that is for you. Uh, The table has been set. This is a a meal that reminds us of the victory that is found in Jesus Christ, in the Good Shepherd. Uh, This is also a time for us to come to his feet. And so as you take communion, you don't do it as a religious event. You do it as a redemptive event event. And so God's word would tell us we need to confess, we need to repent, and then we need to feast with him. And so as you're sitting there and as a team leads y'all out of here, I would encourage you uh, to set and to confess. Uh, If you've been following after other shepherds, if you've been making excuses because your calendar is a greater shepherd than the good shepherd, uh, I would encourage you then to just confess that. And then as you take in the wafer, just be reminded of God's body that's broken for you on your behalf, in your place, as your substitute. And be reminded of the cup when you take it of God's, um, Jesus' specifically blood that was spilled for you in your place as your substitute, that the hired hand didn't run because he's a good shepherd. And so he stayed and he fought for you. Amen? Amen.